Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Hey, Eric. Hey, Eric. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing great. Before the podcast, we were talking about wine and suddenly I'm thirsty. <laughs> there you go. That tends to happen. But you have to have good wine, Eric. I, that's what I've heard. <laughs> the, the cardboard box one I've got upstairs just doesn't no, the box seem wine to be, doesn't work. Yeah, Not my camp anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, so what are we talking about today, guys, besides wine? Well, we're going to talk, this is a, well, I don't know if it's necessarily a different topic from what we've covered in the past, but uh, we, we, I actually thought of this topic and I was reading a couple articles in the last, last couple of days about um, really ha having to deal with estate equalization issues and particularly with specific assets that, that come up in families, whether that be a family business or uh, certain other assets. And, and it, it can be an area that I think families, especially if you're going to be implementing a family meeting, and uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast um, uh, that we've done, I think it, you should to give you a good framework. But th these are issues that I think you can bring up at a family meeting, and they tend to uh, sometimes be overlooked a little bit. Um, so we really wanted to touch on, I guess, really more, more three areas uh, where these estate equalization issues uh, uh, come up today. Can, can we take a timeout just for a minute, guys? Because uh, estate equalization, can you define that for me in the audience? Well, it can mean a couple different things. Uh, and the, well, the, the first topic that I think we should bring up in is the issue of blended families. And this has come up in areas where you want to have, let's say, a, a second spouse that's involved in your estate plan and you have maybe children from a prior marriage that you want to uh, also include in your estate plan. And so the equalization issue is how do you equalize, let's say, your assets between those two parties? Um, and very often that can become uh, a challenging issue if you're not really focusing on it. So, so that's talking the about first fairness. Issue. Is it fairness kind of fairness? Correct. Oh, okay. How do you take care of everybody the same way? Got it. it okay. It, I just it, wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, no, that, that would be a challenge, especially for blended families. Um, wow. I mean, that's, it doesn't matter why the first marriage ended, whether it's somebody passing away or, or there was a divorce, you've, you know, if you've got kids from that marriage, but you find love with someone else and then maybe you have a couple other kids or there's stepchildren involved and yep. uh, wow, I mean, that would be difficult. And like you said, with a family meeting, do you guys run family meetings where you have like the biological children and the stepchildren, the ex-wife, sure. the current yep. wife? Oh man. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah my, my, I say the, the ex-spouse tends to not, not be, there. be in, involved as much. Um, although I think you, you've probably had a couple of those in, in your I time, have. dad. Uh, but yes, but certainly the stepchildren uh, are get involved. And again, it really does depend on the family dynamic and what the family really wants to accomplish. But, you know, this is really where our, I guess, philosophy would be the, having the, all of the parties involved to make sure that all the communication is sort of done between the relevant parties is better. Mm -hmm. Because that's really where when we talk about intergenerational communication and things can be said uh, or not said at a family meeting that another family member didn't hear, and then that you know causes some family discord uh, through the years. And so that's really when we talk about generational 
wealth propagation, what we're trying to really prevent are, are those types of schisms. Yeah, if you, if you get down to the basics, Eric, to, to, to common sense to it all is, is it doesn't matter how large your estate is, uh, even if you have a small asset base compared to a large asset base, you still got the same issues. You have children that are different. I got to be careful when I say that because I got three very different, lovely kids. Mm -hmm. Michael's one of them. I'm the best. He's the best. I've heard. But when when you talk <laughs> about the three kids, it's one might be able to handle money. Mm -hmm. One might not be able to. One might be able to run the business. The other one wants nothing to do with the business. So if you, if you understand those two pieces, let's stay with the ownership of a business. I worked with a family years ago where they were uh, the dad was running the company. Uh, the oldest son was the senior VP. He was kind of like the mover to shaker, the the next generation owner, leader of the business. The other two uh, siblings were in the business as well, but took lower positions. But dad was struggling. If I died tomorrow, mom and I, how would I divvy up this asset? Because the asset was a substantial asset. Well, if you talk to the senior level older brother, he say, well, I deserve the company. I've been running it with dad for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. You guys are just doing A, B, and C. So I deserve a larger share of the company, if not full control of the company. Just imagine to be a part of that conversation as a parent. Yeah. So sometimes you get in these, these issues. Well, if that's the case, if I'm going to give my older son the business, what other assets do I have where I could equalize that value to the other two, two children? Mm -hmm. That maybe it's a a stock portfolio, or maybe it's another piece of real estate, or something of, of equal value. How do I divvy that amongst my estate plan? So that's that's the common sense to it. How do you get involved in those conversations? And to Michael's point, unless we bring it up, but in most cases, they think about it, but they never came up with an answer how they're going to do that. So that's a very important conversation we have with our families. Yeah, and 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 just in terms of communicating, maybe what what the future generations would want or how one future generation member would feel about that. That's your point that if you have maybe one or two children that are involved in the family business, but another that isn't, you know, how would those children feel about the business being divided equally amongst the three children as an example? So that can, again, a lot of this is really just trying to be proactive, nip, nip these sort of issues, potential issues in the bud um, up front. And, and designing something that, again, is just going to hopefully last for generations. Yeah. That's really the goal. And I'll talk to you about my family. Michael won't mind. But uh, I had the same issue here. Because Copper Beach, Michael's my, side, Michael's my partner in Copper Beach. Mm -hmm. uh, I invited both my lovely daughters to join Copper Beach. And they both said, Dad, we don't do math. I said, it's not math. <laughs> we don't do math, Dad. I went to school for writing. I went to school for interior decor design. I, I don't like – no, that's not, that's not our world. And I said, all right, ladies, here's the deal. Don't come back to me somewhere down the road and say, you know, you gave that business to Michael and it's worth more than what you gave us. And and she goes, we're okay with that. We, we know whatever you guys would do, it'll be fair. So behind the scenes, Michael will tell you, we've designed our estate plan where Michael Michael's going to take over Copper Beach, the firm, and all the responsibilities and all the value. And I have a trust, a family trust set up where I'm putting assets in along the way where the girls are going to share into those assets. Because if you think of a trust setup with my three kids, Michael owns a third of the trust and the girls own two thirds. So every time I put something in that trust, the girls get two parts, Michael gets one part. So over time, that equals out. But most certainly they recognize that Michael deserves to have a greater value because he's working full time 
running Copper Beach. So it's it's also a communication to your children more than anything that they understand the positioning. If they're okay with it, then you you document it and you say, listen, we've talked about it and we're good. And that's how you how to address it. Well, here, here's uh, maybe another component to consider as well in the family business context where you may have the desire, let's say from an equalization standpoint, to say, okay, maybe I have one child who's involved in running the business and the other two that aren't. Uh, I'm going to leave the business to that child that's running that's running it. And that business has whatever value it has. So I'm going to make sure that from an equalization standpoint, I leave an equal amount of assets to my other children to make that equal to, to, to make that equalization occur. But we've also had some conversations with with families where the uh, child that's inheriting the business says, well, wait a minute, that asset that I'm inheriting and is a lot riskier, let's say, than the same dollar value of a you know stock portfolio, as an mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. There's not as much um, requirement to continue to run the business on that stock portfolio. So, you know, is that really fair? So I'm not trying to provide any answers there, but those are the sorts of conversations that you have. And families, if they're involved in that family business context, should at least, again, be proactive and maybe think about how those answers are. Yeah, okay, hang on. I'm not not suggesting in my my situation. I'm smiling. I'm watching watching it very closely. But but that does does come up. Um, You know, you have a a really, you know, business that's maybe in in an industry where it's very volatile and, and that, that one child says, well, that's a, maybe not as equal as you originally thought. Yeah, and I, I, I want to take a step back just for a minute because I have a couple questions about what you just said. And one comment, first of all, uh, for John, and, and maybe a question, but your two daughters showed a lot of maturity there. I can't imagine that that happens a lot within, within families that when, when money is the main topic, that two of the children out of the three are like, meh, that's fine. Oh, totally fine. John, I mean, Michael's worked hard for it. He deserves that. We know we're not going to get a piece of it. It doesn't bother us at all. I just, I just can't imagine that that's the, that's the norm. Okay. So we can come back to that in a minute, but Michael, to your point, I a hundred percent agree. If, if you've put in time, effort, energy, and you've been building Copper Beach or any other business that, that one of your clients child, whether it's a, a girl or boy, has been putting into the family business to make it better, to make it stronger, to make it more profitable. I don't believe that the other two children should necessarily have an equal uh, stake or equal inheritance based on the fact that you've worked to build that inheritance. It's not like it was just handed to you where maybe a trust fund is being handed to somebody and it's the same equivalency in cash, which, or, you know, stock portfolio, like you, like your example gave. How do you navigate that kind of stuff? Because if I was the child in the business, I'd be happy that the business, you know, it would motivate me to to make it better. But at the same token, I, I totally see the point you made. It's like, uh, really? I've been working at this thing for 15 to 20 years. They haven't done anything. I mean, they're they're off doing their own thing, which is great, but not necessarily the same type of effort. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Now let's get deeper into the mud. Please. For a second. Yeah, let's get a shovel. Not only do you have to deal with your that kind of communication with your kids, how about who they marry? The in-laws have input. Just They're don't get the married. Saying, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's fair what your mom and dad did for Michael. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So so you get this poisoning of the of the of the pool. The Delilah. Potentially. Effect. Yeah. <laughs> 
that could set a whole different different level of communication when I'm no longer here. See, the, the yeah. challenge we all have in our estate plans, and to your point, Eric, my daughters are very polite and very sweet. And by the, by the way, they are. And I, I'm the luckiest guy to where I got three great kids. I'm, I'm dead serious about that. They're all mature. They're all, they're all, they all support each other. They all are good friends. There's no battle fronts. But when my wife are not here anymore, what changes? Mm. Well, the, the, maybe you think about the core of the family. Mom and dad are the core. When the core is gone, what keeps the kids together? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's different sidebars to this that when you get to these conversations, we, we didn't want to make light of it. We could spend hours on this topic with families on different variations. Now, we always say you can't control it from the grave. You, you got to make a decision, mm-hmm. but you hope the decision is the right one. But doesn't mean there's not going to be frictional along the way. But remember, all our podcasts have always been around the more you can communicate, the more you can get feedback and make your kids part of those decisions, the better off you're going to be. And it's not, again, it's not going to heal all wounds, but that's what you try to accomplish. Yeah, and I would imagine that, uh, and I don't have to have an answer by this, but I would assume both of your daughters are successful. Uh, my concern would be, again, in a three-kid situation, one's working in the business with dad, doing great. Uh, another one is a, a doctor or an attorney or or uh, a writer that's found a lot of success. And then you've got the guy that's working, you know, at the local convenience store because just doesn't have a whole lot of motivation to do anything because I see a trust fund at the end of the day and, and, uh, I'm going to be okay with that. Yeah. But here's where the sale was made, Eric, to my sure. so just not to get too deep into my design, but it's, in, it's an important part of this discussion. Cause although Michael's running the company, uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we had a gentleman called Mark Sims on, and he opens those private insurance companies. They're called mm-hmm. SAPs. That's right. Segregated Asset Plans. Well, we have one here at Copper Beach, and that's owned to my family trust. And, and Michael's agreement with me upon me passing, they had taken over Copper Beach. He's going to continue to fund that insurance company, which comes out of Copper Beach. Revenues coming out of Copper Beach to fund our risk pool. If we if we're lucky enough. It would have claims against that risk pool. The girls own two-thirds of that. So in, on a side note, Michael's supporting the girls through Copper Beach because he's putting money in this trust account from Copper Beach. Does that make sense to you? It does. Yep. So that's a balance. So it's a balance. They are getting benefit from Copper Beach, but very different benefit. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And um, and you brought up that, that person that was involved in – uh, let's say they look at your example, the convenience store uh, person who's, you know, <laughs> let's say not as driven to uh, achieve certain things. You know, one other area, this isn't necessarily about a state equalization. Well, I, I guess it could be a state equalization. But one one provision that, that we've seen a lot in the documents that we have reviewed are the issues where there's, let's say, a, a performance uh, bonus that's equivalent in terms of let's say a distribution out of a trust to a beneficiary that is essentially calculated based on how much income you earn in an outside endeavor, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a doctor and you're making a half a million dollars a year based on the formula inside of the estate documents, you'll get an extra distribution from the trust because you're earning more money versus let's say the person who's- You're more successful. Right, you're more successful versus someone who- 
Financially, financially exactly. because I mean, uh, let, let's talk about teachers. Let's talk about priests. Yeah. Right, it's where you get you to know, that. Oh, yeah, man. The, that's the negative side. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, the, these these estate equalization type of concerns can can backfire. I think everybody has good intentions with that type of, of design in their estate plan. And again, we're not here to say that that is the wrong thing to put in your documents. If that's really important to you, then that's that's fine. It's just these are these, some of the conversations and things that you should think about uh, before putting that in place, or at least communicating that to your to your children, if that is, is something you want to include in your estate plan. So let me ask you this: Do you ever have uh, that type of scenario, except for maybe it's determined by how many hours you're working per year, or per six month, or per quarter, or whatever? Um, because it wouldn't matter what you're making as long as you're working, you know, full time, right? I mean, have right. you seen that before? I have, yes. I've seen it both ways. I've seen the first example where there isn't that uh, qualifier, I guess you could say, where it's just basically straight, okay, if you earn X number of dollars, you get X number of dollars benefit extra from the trust on top of what you're what you're normally going to get. But I have seen probably more commonly what you just brought up, Eric, which is, okay, I recognize that you know, there are certain, certain professions that are noble professions or you're still working hard, but you're not able to earn as much from mm-hmm. a dollar value or financial capital standpoint. And so the trustee of the trust should take that into account when making distributions, again, to try to make everything equal and fair. Yeah. And I, I, I love that because again, uh, I've worked for charities before I've worked uh, as a family teacher and, uh, you know, raising kids. And that was what we felt called to do. It certainly did not you know, bringing the income uh, on a professional level that a lot of other professions would, uh, but that was our mission, and we worked really, really hard at it. Uh, and it would it would be a little painful to have my mom and dad say, "Well, that's just not as as honorable as you know what your sister's doing by making a ton of money doing whatever, right?" Um, and and I, a lot of my questions are revolving around the thought of one of my boys that that lived with me at Boys Town, his parents threw money at him. And we may have talked a little bit about him at uh, before on a different podcast, especially with the, I think the behavioral stuff that we spoke about quite yeah, a few months ago. Yeah. Um, but his allowance, I believe was around $65,000 a year, which enabled him to not work and do meth. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's that. And he's got a sister. And I know that when mom and dad both pass, I believe dad has passed. But when mom passes, it is just going to be an absolute train wreck disaster. If there's any money left, I, I don't know if there is, but because they haven't done it right. And yeah, that that's a poor that's me. a poor estate plan from a standpoint. You're not thinking through the what if scenarios. Mm-hmm. That's again, that's the challenge we put to our families. What if this would occur? What? How would you address that? How would you want to address that? Uh, and that's a that's that opens the gate to a lot of conversations. Um, but 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 when you get into the psychology of this, you can see it can go in 50 different directions. It, it, in our families, fortunately, that work with us, we push that envelope with them. We know all their kids. They're involved in meetings. So very early on, we see the weakness, if I can use that term loosely, in family members and who might be an issue, who might not be an issue. Mm-hmm. We will we will address that along the way because parents know yeah i know my kids you you probably know your kids mm-hmm. you, you know you know what they are who they are but you don't know what the future of that person is going to be so those what if scenarios what if it's not positive how do i protect them getting back to your yeah, your gentleman to get $65,000 a year if that's a, that's a that's a opportunity to lose wealth 
period. <laughs> That's yes. not the best way to do it. Versus putting it in trust with a trustee that's controlling that 65000 and say, what's your health, education, maintenance, and support requirements? Mm -hmm. Well, if they know he's on drugs, they're not going to get him a distribution. They're going to get him to a, a center. They're going to get some treatment. They're going to do other things to take care of him, hopefully change his ways. So that's why trust become, we talked about in multiple podcasts, become a, a real good necessary tool a lot of these families to control those kind of issues. Yeah. And and I know that we've spoken a little bit about it before and, and had some notes from the uh, before the podcast. My parents are at a stage where they're giving me things. A lot of the things they're giving me, guys, I don't really... I'm not at that stage that would I don't want them. <laughs> okay? I'm, I'm just kidding. There's, there's, you know, collectibles that they had in a curio cabinet for years and years and years, and I saw them as a child, and now they're putting them in a box, and here, here you go. And I'm like, I, I don't have room for any of that stuff. I, I got too much of my own stuff I don't want. Um, with, with families that are very wealthy, I would assume that there's kind of the same thing uh, where... Maybe uh, they have a vacation home or they have some place that oh, meant sure. something to them and meant yep. something to the entire family. But now the kids are so busy, three kids, right? John, uh, you've got three. Um, if they're super busy and they just don't have the time to spend at the lake cabin or at the whatever, the condo at the beach, I have no idea. But how does that work when, when something like that is tried, you know, they pass it down. What if two of the kids just don't want to? Uh, I have got any a story time? for you, Eric. All right, please. <laughs> There's a doctor I worked with in Princeton a long time ago, and he had a house in Maine. And the the one of his objectives was he was going to keep this house in the family for generations. It was a favorite place for everybody. They spent their summers there. It was like handed down from his grandfather mm -hmm. to his father, now to him. So his trust was set up. This house stays in trust for the benefit of the, of my children. And I said to him, "That's great." Who's going to pay for everything? And how does that work? Mm -hmm. So he said, good question. So he said, what my father did, he set up this pool that he funded, but it ran out pretty quickly. So if you have one of these designs, you have to make sure there's some kind of a funding mechanism to make sure that that asset is, is taken care of by another source. Now, that source can shift along the way. And you get to a point where maybe two of the kids say, you know what, I can ill afford to pay for that that place in Maine, uh, buy me out. So there's buyout provisions in these documents. They have first rights of refusal. They can do a lot of different things to, to, to get everybody easy way out if they don't want to spend the money to keep it going, as an example. Because that might have been his vision to keep that house in trust, but it actually poured out to the kids at a certain age, which we corrected. So now it stays in trust. For that, because it was so important to him, we kept it in trust until perpetuity. So, so the trustee makes the decision. And you yeah, guys, think, are, oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say that a, a lot of there's a lot of emotional connection to a family business. I think a vacation mm -hmm. home is probably another, you know, asset that yep. probably elicits the most emotional response for for the reasons that you've hinted at, Eric. In terms of you know, it's a family vacation spot. There's a lot of really good memories, and so that that's one asset that if some friction can develop when you have, let's say, one child that wants to keep it, the other child doesn't, or you know, wants to, one child wants to use it more and all those different things that, again, it's about communication. So with trusts, and I just don't know how, I know there's a lot of different types. We, we covered, we had one podcast where it was just all letters yeah. uh, for, for 30 minutes. It was just letters. Acronyms. But, yes, yeah, yeah. Acronyms. Uh, I'm assuming that trust can be altered to, to kind of uh, conform to the latest, I don't want to call it technology, but the latest advancements in different areas. And I'm, I'm specifically thinking about Airbnb, right? So if you have a vacation home that is 
you know, seven hours away from every one of those three children. Yes, they want to be able to use it. Yes, they would love to be able to take their families up there. They do want to keep it in the family. But are you able to go in and alter a trust to where you can have it set up to where that house could be airbnb for part of the year to a, you know, offset some of the costs and also the fact that it's not going to be vacant for eight months? No, absolutely. I think that that's a that's a it should be a key component of the language of the trust to provide that flexibility you're talking about, especially if you're going to have a trust that lasts for, you know, multiple generations or goes on into perpetuity. That flexibility becomes really important because, yes, to your point, you don't know what what the family makeup is going to be in the future. And so having the flexibility in your example to, let's say, rent the cabin out for mm-hmm. a period of time or the asset out for a period of time should is definitely something that that can be included in trust. But very often we see that type of language in there almost uh, as like a boilerplate type of language that attorneys include is the ability to rent out real estate. So very often there doesn't have to be a lot of, uh, let's say, um, effort to, to change it after the fact. It's typically set up that way from the outset. Yeah, by the way, when you look at that as an equalization conversation, there's no worry about that because it's in a it's in a box already. It's in that trust, and everybody in the family gets benefit from it. It's how you structure the trust for access, for costs, and all those things we just talked about. So it's really a good way to equalize things inside of a of a box to make it appropriate. Now, getting back to that family business, the challenge you have typically that's usually the largest asset in the, in the client's arsenal of assets. And we work with family. I think the, I think the company's worth thirty million dollars, and he has very small investment accounts. All his money's in his big business, mm-hmm. and he has a, a young son that's running the business. And the other two are not. So how do you equalize that? Well, he uses life insurance to do that. So he sets up a trust where he he gets a life insurance policy on 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 him and his his wife. It's called a survivorship policy. Upon their death, uh, there's enough death benefit code that that trust equalizes the value to the company that the other son got. So there's a lot of techniques around equalization, but but insurance is a part of a decision that clients make because it's easy. It's it's liquid cash. It's leveraged. And and it, it's it's not a it's not a dollar for dollar transaction. So it, sometimes that works really well. Going back to something you said earlier, you said a lot of people have thought about this, but they haven't had the conversation. Right. Why do you think that is? Is it just something they want to avoid because they just, man, I really don't want to open this can of worms? Or is it something they just don't think they can actually, they don't have a resource to have this conversation? Yeah, they're too close. They're too close to the process. In other words, they get emotionally connected to what's fair. And how do I evaluate fair? Mm-hmm. And, and we've talked on many podcasts, you don't know what you don't know. So our role typically is educating him on options. And again, those what if scenarios, we walk him through to get him comfortable that there's just not one answer to the question. There's five answers to the question. And then we're the bad guys when we present it to the family. They point, John and Micah came up with this, not me and Bob. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Those guys. Yeah. So we're like the we're like the scapegoat, which we take that with pride with pride and joy, believe me, because mm-hmm. that's our role. So John and Michael recommended this and we we like the idea. What do you guys think? And it, it now becomes a dialogue. So it's it's really fascinating when you get this 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 communication between the family members. And we can't emphasize it enough, and we've always done that on these podcasts. It's all about how you communicate on every level. And if you shortchange that, you just you're just asking for trouble, and that's really what happens. Unfortunately, there there are a lot not a lot of families that do a lot of that, um, and that's the that's the challenge I would have yeah. anyone listen to this podcast. 
Talk to your kids. Talk to your advisors. Have your advisors become part of that. Implement different uh, annual meetings um, and try it out. You're going to make mistakes, but try it out. Hire a coach. Hire a consultant. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to approach it, and, and it's not in your hands anymore. You outsource it to someone that's a professional, and that's what they do all day. So it's really getting that client to feel comfortable to do it that way. And speaking of communication, if somebody wants to reach out and talk to you about this, because we are really short on time on this podcast, how do they get a hold of you so they can start this conversation with you guys? Well, you can go to our website, uh, www.cbfgllc.com, or you can call us on the phone, of course. We still have those here. That's area code 856-988-8300. Well, guys, I think you always go to our, 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 uh, our website for our white papers and our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, or subscribe to our podcast. You get updates on all these different strategies over time. It might help. All right. And a reminder to everybody listening, uh, these guys work nationwide. Copper Beach works nationwide. So if you're hearing this, doesn't matter what state you're in, give them a call, open that conversation. Uh, John and Michael, my advice to you is when you do have those family meetings, if it's going to get a little hairy, go with the plastic utensils. That's just, just yeah. my thought. I, yeah. We haven't had that challenge yet. Okay. We'll keep you posted. Or the plastic wine glasses. <laughs> one of the two. There, there you go. Exactly. Cardboard and plastic. Oh, no. No, yep. no cardboard boxes. All right. Guys, thank you so much. This is a fantastic podcast, and I, I hope that there are people listening to this that are saying, you know what? I really do need to have the conversation, even though I don't want to, and uh, my conversation is going to start with John and Michael. So I hope they give you a call and, and start that process so they can get their family situation in order and uh, sleep better at night, really. Great. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. If you're listening to this right now thinking, I got to talk to my wife about this, or man, I really need to talk to my husband about this. Have them listen to the podcast first and then have a great conversation about it and then make that phone call. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. 
These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.